0: I think, I, you know, I think the, the reason we do make such a great pair going into episode four is you are so eloquent in the way in which you speak and you just curate, you kind of guide the podcast really well. And then I think I'm kind of this element of danger. Like you mm-hmm. never know. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> like you, you, um, you boot up the podcast and you hear, hello, welcome to read this way. And it's either going to be you, Renee, and if you show up first, then the <laughs> listener knows like, okay, great. It's going to be where we're, we're going to be in for like high roll every time she speaks, like always going to be well manicured, well curated, very mm-hmm. great information. And then if you boot it up and you hear me say, hello, welcome to read this way, the, the listener suddenly feels tense. The listener suddenly... <laughs> doesn't know where they are. They're not sure how they hit play or if the phone, the smartphone hit play for them. And then
1: (laughs) who made this decision?
0: Who made this decision? Was this me? Where am I? What Mm -hmm. state am I in? Did I take the plates off of my fucking car? Do I work (laughs) in like a drug cartel now? What's happening? Because (laughs) I, there's no, there's no God. When I open the show, Mm -hmm. I, and pure danger. That's my intro. Oh my
1: <laughs> what is, oh, hold on. What is it? 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 I gotta go. Te-ka-li-li,
0: te-ka-li-li, 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 <laughs> it's probably not right. But I think it's a close. What that was it? yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Tekalili, lily Tek-a-lili.
0: Okay, but l- let's get this shit fucking straight. Tech-a-lily is the sound those motherfucking penguins make. Okay. I
1: know. Like, why are the penguins screeching and the weird eyeball monsters are saying a fun little Dr. Seuss nursery rhyme?
0: I know. I'm like, and then this whole thing about repression and they like take ownership of the mocking term. I think it's very relevant to America, but.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> and that's and that's how American imperialism ties into this story from 1930 oh Thank I think I for think what, listening
0: at the mountains of madness is a story about colonialism at its heart oh
1: absolutely God. absolutely and um revolution
0: yes and being able to breathe underwater <laughs> and um <laughs>
1: And being truly amphibious,
0: yes, just being and coming from space um, mm-hmm. and things
1: every American can relate to.
0: um architecture, shitty architecture as well. God, honey, Americans, we eat too many windows. That's what I also learned from this. <laughs> yeah, they too many windows <laughs> for a house, honey knocks mm-hmm. them off. Figure out what you're going for.
1: You know what's going to happen if you have that many windows? You're going to get a lot of eyeballs in there.
0: A lot of and eyeballs. And that's how the
1: insurgency starts. What? That's what I learned from this graphic novel.
0: That just made my tummy hurt because that <laughs> is what all those windows are for. It's for the eyeballs, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Now I'm- Maybe. Yeah. Uh, no, I just I got mean, really sick.
1: I definitely got the idea that they built them, but yeah. I feel like we're really jumping ahead of ourselves. We I are. I'm leaving all of this in, by the way.
0: Perfect. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I'm if taking- you're still here. <laughs> Hi. If you're still listening, I'm going to take a deep breath and then do our intro. So, oh, that was a terrible breath. I'm going to do another one. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Read This Way. I'm Jace Wingate. And I'm Renee Pogue. And we're just two women trying to get through the day.
1: We're just two hardworking women just putting on our- – we put on our power suits – one bra strap at a time, just like everyone else.
0: You know, I know people who have coronavirus, and um, <laughs> I want them to get better every day.
1: I'm sorry, that's just not funny. <laughs> <But> <laughs> the whiplash I received <laughs> from that.
0: I, <clears throat> I, I try to have as much compassion as I can for everyone. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I do have thresholds, and that includes when t- over two hundred thousand Americans die under your watch. so i
1: will I will say I'm not a perfect human being, but um, I have never incidentally killed two hundred thousand
0: people I, absolutely. you know i I'm so a, a human I'm a human being on this planet right now. I've never committed cold blood murder and lied about it.
1: Also, so nobody can say we're playing politics, I have never uh, flipped a car into a river and left my passenger to die. So.
0: I've done that. (laughs) Unfortunately.
1: Oh, oh no. Oh, God. Hurry up and plead the fifth.
0: You know I'm just a crab demon underneath (laughs) underneath this white skin.
1: Don't give Lady Gaga any ideas.
0: God. What's the what's the thing where she like – it's her in the block and she's, it's showtime. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. <laughs> People are using it for memes right now on Instagram. And it'll be like when my friend asks me what's wrong and then it's like okay. her doing that bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes.
1: Since it's spooky season, would you like a couple recommendations for some arty horror movies?
0: I would love some.
1: Okay, one is one that Kat and I watched last night, and it's called Starfish. And it's basically, how do I describe this movie? So it is basically a movie about a girl who is, she's grieving the death of her best friend. And she we open with like the funeral and then she ends up spending the night at her best friend's apartment slash bar because she's, you know, grief, grieving process. And she wakes up the next day and there's been like some weird signal that was emitted during the night that basically killed nearly everybody on the planet, brought these creepy monsters and put like snow everywhere and apparently her friend knew it was coming and made these mixtapes for her to find that, like, explain what's going on. It's very good. And it's very, it's, the, the story itself is interspersed with all these very interesting dream sequences almost. Or, um, I don't know. It's very cool. I recommend it.
0: It's so specific. That's what I really love about it is that it's like, it's not this, I think it takes that general idea of you wake up and the world has ended. Mm-hmm. And then it just goes in this like very, very niche specific direction. And I really yeah. love like that.
1: And the other one is called like me. And that one is uh, a, it's about, uh, it very much confronts the idea of putting everything on social media Because this, the main character is this young woman who basically commits crimes and does all sorts of weird avant garde things, and she posts them all on social media. So I'm not explaining it very well, but it is, it's one of those where, like, the way it's filmed is as important, like, the visuals are as important as the story itself.
0: I love that. Because I so there,
1: there are, are Ux. You can find them both on Shutter.
0: Ooh, Shutter. I need to. I don't have a membership, but you know, I probably should get one.
1: I think you get a free thirty day membership, which is you know
0: that's perfect for October. It's worth it.
1: Yep, that's what we usually do. Although I think we just straight up have a membership now.
0: You're like we watch enough horror that it's worth it.
1: It really is. And they have, I love, and this is more of a me thing than a me and cat thing, but I love that they have so much classic horror. Like There's a lot of stuff from like the 70s and 60s. Oh, yeah. And they just put um, The Mask of Red Death, which how poignant, and um, Follow the House of Usher on there. So I'm really looking forward to watching those because I am, as I said in the last episode, huge fan of Edgar Allan Poe. Who they also yes. mentioned in this book again, which I thought was interesting. Really really calling out to to Poe there, which I'm not... Like I said, I haven't read the original short story that this is based on. So I don't know if that's a thing Lovecraft did in the story. But I do think it's an interesting addition because it definitely adds context for the reader.
0: Agreed. I believe he was super influenced by Poe.
1: I mean, who wouldn't be?
0: I mean... When you like, I feel like there are so many fathers and mothers of horror Mm -hmm. that it truly is like you. You truly can only build upon what came before you. So why wouldn't you take like that horrific idea and then personalize it? Like, Mm -hmm. I um, I have a recommendation as well. Yes, Um, and if you I so the Criterion Channel, which I think you can also do a thirty day free trial of. They are doing spooky classic uh, Criterion movies for October. Oh, nice! And we watched—I don't know if you've ever seen it. Don't look now.
1: That sounds really familiar.
0: It's part of. So I don't know if you were like me. I used to watch AMC's Top 100 Horror Movie Moments every October because it was mm-hmm. like it was like the little like shot of horror that I wanted. Like I wanted, I wanted to know why this was the scariest movie, and. I didn't want to watch the movie, but I wanted to be able to talk about it. So it was like the quick, the quick binge that I needed to have information. So we went on the Criterion channel and I discovered Don't Look Now because it was the first one. And then we also like watched the trailer and I couldn't remember why it felt familiar. But then as we watched the movie, I figured out why the movie was iconic and really great. And it's just very, it's psychological horror, which is my favorite kind.
1: I might watch that because it sounds good.
0: It's really good. It's iconic because it's a series of seemingly not connected events leading to this like climax. And it's a movie ultimately about grief and how Mm -hmm. if, if you don't deal with your grief, bad shit will happen.
1: Speaking of horror and creepy and spooky season, let's jump into book two of At the Mountains of Madness
0: by Tanabe.
1: Yes, sorry, yes, by Tanabe, who I have more and more respect for with every panel because I can't even
0: seriously and just the imagination. I mean, I'm sure that like he drew upon other visuals from the Necronomicon maybe. Mhm. But just the Oh, I'm sure. the artistry. Like I I could never in my imagination have fathomed any of what they see
1: when I'm looking at a lot of these illustrations I have no idea what I'm looking at like have you seen that photo that's supposed to be what having a stroke is like it looks like there's regular objects but when you try and identify things you can't nothing looks normal nothing is an identifiable shape that is how I felt looking at the cityscapes And the murals and even some of the buildings, it was just like, I know that this is a thing that not necessarily should exist, but I know that this is a shape I should know. I know I should be able to realize what's going on, but I have no fucking clue what this is. I have no fucking clue what this is supposed to represent.
0: That's such a great point. Because, A, I never want to, I'm never show me that image of what it looks like to have a stroke (laughs) because I will, I probably couldn't handle that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To riff off of what you're saying, Renee, that's absolutely true. Like, I think, and I think it's, it's almost like almost identifiable too. That's what Mm -hmm. makes it unnerving is that it's almost like, there, it feels as though there is some weird influence on the human, like ability to build the human ability to create society. So mm-hmm. it's everything that we see is unidentifiable, but it's almost identifiable, which adds to the eeriness.
1: Yes, the star shape in particular. There's something about the star shape being everywhere that really messes with me because that's not. I mean, obviously, I know starfish exist, but it's not an organic shape, you know?
0: You, mm-hmm. don't just,
1: you don't just find a perfectly equilateral star in nature, but in these cityscapes, it's everywhere. And that, to me, is somehow creepier. Like, if it was, like, a circle or maybe a triangle or a square, that would still be very weird, but something as complex as the star shape, which obviously we know by now and you find out later is representative of the heads of these old ones, but it's still just very strange to find, to see them everywhere. They're on top of buildings. They're in the ground. They're marking graves. They're indented into buildings. It's very strange to me.
0: I hate that their eyes are on the end of the star shape.
1: I was creeped out by that too because i don't think we saw that in the last issue issue volume
0: book i like can't i and i think that's part of the uh, part of the journey too, part of the experience is not fully comprehending their anatomy Mm -hmm. again i think we come back to the conversation about like who who is whose lens are we viewing this world through because are we seeing what they look like to the human eye? And then in the lore, are we seeing like that moment of lore? Are we seeing their true form? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I loved, I loved the lore section. I found that I loved getting that backstory and I loved that mm-hmm. it's through, um, it's through that mural that they find.
1: Yeah. Which to me, I was like, I don't know. He got like, an entire history out of that thing. When I looked at it, I was just like, "Swirl of shapes."
0: Same. Swirl I was the like, shapes
1: with a few buildings.
0: I'm like, "Oh, this is at West Elm. I should buy this." Hmm. Uh. Like
1: this. This is. <laughs> this would make a beautiful carpet.
0: What's the thread count on this mural? Uh, <laughs> oh my god, I love this stuff.
1: I mean, I guess it helps that, of course, like, what a wonderful, magnificent coincidence that. The two people who managed to find this are also two people who just happened to have gone to a university with the Necronomicon and other eldritch volumes of horror. So Dyer does have some sort of like a baseline to understanding this whereas for me I'm just like oh there's stars and buildings on this how nice
0: same like yeah, oh what a, what a what a lovely here. little abandoned town like I wonder what used mm-hmm. to be here oh wow also how gross is the fucking necronomicon I wouldn't touch that book
1: Well allegedly it's um written, written with human, human skin, blood bound and- with human skin I'm glad you confirmed that because now that I think of it like I know that from the Evil Dead series and I don't know <laughs> if I should take my, uh, if I should take all of my, my information from Sam Raimi's campy horror trilogy, but yes, it looks like a gross book. I would, I would have somebody flip the pages for me because I would still be curious. But I don't
0: know if I would touch it myself. Cut to me scanning the Necronomicon. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to me literally sitting there, like with the little finger things, hitting the little pedal, scanning it. <laughs>
1: Rob comes in and he's like, why does the apartment smell like beef jerky?
0: Oh, uh, my tummy hurts again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs>
1: um,
0: should I do a recap of what happened in the last one?
1: Oh, yeah. Yes. Please do a recap.
0: Okay. Or do you want to do this recap since I did Persepolis? It's totally up to you.
1: Um, I can try and do a recap. And you just kind of fill in things I forgot.
0: Great. I think you're gonna nail it.
1: I hope so. I hope so. Let's see what I remember from volume one. Basically, we have a research trip with a bunch of esteemed professors and their various assistants, slash, slaves, with the way Lake treats Gedney. This is one of those things that like is in the back of my head, and I know that I know it, but I never think about it. But I was reminded this week that. The name of our two poles are basically bearland and no bearland. Cuz it's the Arctic Ocean and Antarctica. Anyways, that has creative. nothing to do <laughs> that has nothing to do with the story except that there are no bears, just penguins and spookier penguins. So they're greeted by penguins, which is always fun because I would always love to be greeted by penguins. While they're doing their investigation, Professor Lake who is the anti-hero of this story, but he has amazing eyebrows and every face he makes is so camp that I can't help but love him despite his villainous behavior, finds this strange pattern on a rock and becomes obsessed with it and puts a lot of people's lives in danger because he is determined to find out what the source is for this particular pattern that he's never seen in any organic fossil or rock sediment, whatever, in his entire time as i I'm pretty sure he's a ge- is he a biologist?
0: Lake I think, is a um I think he's a biologist.
1: Okay. I think Lake is a biologist and Dyer is a geologist. Because I'm pretty yes. sure while they're yeah, while they're looking at the rock, Lake is saying he really wishes that Dyer was with them so he could tell them more about it. And he's the one so, doing the
0: dissections.
1: Oh yes, bad idea. So Lake takes some men and dogs and researchers and separates from the main group. And he ends up going to this these black mountains that have no snow on them, which is very strange. And they start to investigate this area, trying to find whatever they can find. And they end up going into this cave, which has these amazing underwater specimens of creatures that shouldn't be there unless their hypothesis is true, which is that this used to be a tropical area and now it's not anymore. And he finds this incredible alien species, which is still so strange to me, but it's something no human has ever laid eyes on before. So they immediately, despite the fact that Reason says you should maybe wait and take these specimens back with you and be careful about it, but Lake is not having any of that. So he immediately has them drag out as many of the specimens they can and starts dissecting them. And they smell terrible, and the dogs hate it. And there's a terrible storm in the area, but Lake refuses to go back or do anything to safeguard his crew. He just tells them, Good job. And then the next thing we know, They're all ripped to pieces. And that is how Dyer and his team find them when they go on their rescue mission. And we end up with.
0: Fateful final line from the first volume. When that that fog fades, honey, we're flying into those black mountains.
1: (laughs) Flying into those black mountains, Hanny.
0: Girl, you better get ready.
1: Fuel it the fuck up. And then it (laughs) opens. And then it, it opens. That Volume 2 just opens with that wonderful shot of Dyer looking determined as fuck. And I feel like this book definitely shows him moving from this sort of like very responsible figure who is concerned with the safety of everyone to a lot more like Professor Lake. Like he does, I don't want to, you know, spoil everything else we're going to talk about, but he definitely goes along a similar trajectory to, I have to know, I have to find out, we have to keep going. I don't care if it's dangerous. It doesn't end well for everyone involved. But I don't want to spoil anything this early.
0: I think that's a great recap. I thought you did amazingly.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: That was really beautiful and well-spoken. Yeah, I agree with all of that. We pick up immediately where it was left off. They're prepping for the expedition into the Black Mountains, i.e., the Mountains of Madness, i.e., whatever that one chapter was called, the White Eons of Calamity. And there's <laughs> one line that I really love where he's like, "I relieved Danforth at the pilot seat," mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Tell me more. How? How did you relieve him?"
1: Because <laughs> his hands, he's like, his hands were shaky. It's like, "Uh, yeah, yes. This is terrifying. This is a terrifying mission."
0: I think there's something to be said about it's something that hopefully none of us will ever have to experience in our human lives. But the fear of the unknown being physically flying into an area of the unknown, Mm -hmm. like like truly flying into you have you come upon a dead, a dead crew that have been Mm -hmm. not only maimed, but surgically maimed in a way that's very clean and shows signs of intelligence.
1: Yeah. They weren't just killed by rabid penguins. Yeah. The dogs didn't just go crazy and eat them alive. This was.
0: I still think it's the penguins intentional. though. <laughs> I do. I'm like. <laughs> the weird albino penguins. I love the weird albino penguins. And I have so. this is, this is why I'm, this is why I'm a bad like empath. Because I have, more, mm-hmm. I have more compassion for animals sometimes than I do human beings.
1: Well, the poor albino penguins had no idea. They were they were just trying to live their lives, and mm-hmm. they were doing their best. And I do not think they got a fair shake.
0: I don't think so either. Like, and I wonder, I wonder if it's to bring back the idea of the spider. Like, you know, the little the spider that keeps the little frog as a pet. Do you think that the Shagath was keeping? the albino penguins as pets
1: i think so and then they just angered them so much that they spoiler alert stomped all over them
0: which i'm sure typically the penguins know how to get out of the way like i think that was just Mm -hmm. i think that was an off moment for the shagath like i think they were just like how the fucking dare you you show up in my motherfucking house bitch i'll kill you and then why are you still here and then those were just like two penguins that were unfortunately crushed
1: I know, because they couldn't see. They, they couldn't see because the Shugath had all the eyes, all of them.
0: Oh God, do you think that might be it? No, that's natural selection, no. right? Like <laughs> yeah, that, it was, yeah, it was yeah. that they it were was... in darkness. Okay,
1: mm-hmm. oh. it's like my favorite Planet Earth episode, which is the caves episode. Which, if you haven't watched it, it's pretty great. And there is a lizard. In that episode, which is very similar to these penguins, it lives entirely within the cave. It doesn't ever has it has never gone out into the daylight, so it has no eyes. It's evolved to not have any eyes because it doesn't need them. It's in complete darkness at all times. Completely natural selection. And that lizard was my mother.
0: And I and that lizard is my mother. (laughs) So does the lizard use like? Does it is it like the snake thing where it uses the tongue to sense heat and stuff, or does it actually use echolocation?
1: I think it's like the snake thing, Mm -hmm. or like its feet can like sense vibrations and stuff.
0: Oh, so that's like Earthbender. Mm -hmm. Gotcha, yeah, or blind (laughs) Earthbender girl. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: oh, tough, my queen.
0: She's honestly confession. I've watched so little Airbender, but does she? Isn't she a lesbian? Or is that fandom lesbianism?
1: I don't know what way or the other. I haven't watched Legend of Korra. I do know that uh, she has a ton of kids.
0: Oh, so well, like you know what she can still. But Ty,
1: uh, Ty Lee and May, I'm pretty sure are.
0: Yes. Gay. Yes, I love mm-hmm. gay representation in cartoons. It gets me lit. I'll do research. I'll bring that back for next episode.
1: Okay. <laughs> I Need a full five paragraph essay.
0: On I have it. a complete dissertation on this character who i know very little about (laughs) except that she senses vibrations through her feet and through the earth bending
1: and she can metal bend
0: that's right because homegirl learns how to ice bend right
1: yes and blood bend what oh you're not there yet
0: i again i have watched like i watched airbender when i was like when it was still coming on randomly on nickelodeon so i would oh okay randomly i need to watch it because i know it's brilliant
1: See, I I binged the entire thing in like a week and a half because I was unemployed and uh, it was on Netflix and a lot of people told me I should watch it and I was 20 when it first came out. So I wasn't really like watching Nickelodeon, but I have to say it's pretty good. And yeah, Homegirl learns how to bloodbend. It's pretty, pretty, it's pretty,
0: uh, yeah. That's pretty dark.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they can only do it on a full moon.
0: Oh, well. You know, just cute full moon vibes.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Cute bloodbending moon vibes.
0: Cute bloodbending moon vibes.
1: Um, Speaking of vibes, I do not remember Danforth having a bear suit in volume one, but he definitely has one in volume two. And I don't know where it came from, but I think he looks great in it. I'm very glad they decided to give him a bear suit.
0: Because Dyer had the bear suit in volume one, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then, and this
1: this time they both do.
0: I mean, good call. Like, you know, when I think that's just smart fashion.
1: I mean, I, uh, yes, I have to, and I think Danforth looks great in it. I honestly related to Danforth so hard throughout this entire book. And to have him uh, look like an early 2000s member of the Strokes was just an added benefit, and for all me. the
0: more comfort. Like, just Mm -hmm. so comforting.
1: I've gone from thinking Lake is a stand-in for the reader to Danforth. Or Danforth is really me throughout this entire thing. Because he's like, this is fucking scary. Maybe we shouldn't be doing this.
0: Let's go back. Yeah, he's like, I
1: think we've seen enough. Can we just like, he's like, we haven't found Gedney Maybe we should go back, and then spoiler alert: when they do, he's like, "Hey, we found Gedney. Maybe we should go back." Like he's he's trying very hard to be sensible and prevent Dyer from falling to the same fate as Professor Lake.
0: Absolutely, Danforth knew. Danforth knew what they were walking into. He, I think, Danforth knew he was going to go mad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he was just like, "Listen." Dyer, we got to go back. I've seen the future. I final destination, (laughs) this shit. (laughs) And like, I know what will happen. We got to turn around. And Dyer's Mm -hmm. like, "There's like, nah, girl.
1: Danforth is like, we have five hours. And if you go over that in any way, I will drag your bare ass out of here.
0: That's like, they cover so much ground in five hours. Like Getting that complete history from that mural, that would take me at least half a day. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, can I tell you what's truly terrific in the old sense of the word like truly terrifying is the fact that they are under fucking ground and they have limited sources of light it's one of my it's one of my biggest fears is being underground i think it's because of the um chernobyl hbo series when they go when they go into the they go into the like the water pump generator and then like the fucking nuclear radiation causes their batteries to melt and they're in darkness and Mm -hmm. they get disoriented and that's how the episode ends. I couldn't handle it like that.
1: Oh, it's terrifying.
0: Truly, truly terrifying. And I love that he points that out too. Hey, you know, uh, Professor Dyer, we have some pretty limited light sources. <laughs> and he's like, we'll use the torches. I'm like, he's like, I don't think you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think you're like really listening to me right now, Professor Dyer.
1: Also, can I just say that even though they talk multiple times about being from Oxford University, it did not click to me that these guys were British until they called flashlights torches. And I was like,
0: "Oh." But that they're in Arkham, which I mean, I don't I I can live with that that they're British and they like came to study in Arkham. Mm-hmm. I I I had I battled with that too because I was like I can't really tell. I assumed British, but then Setting wise, I was like, "Yeah," but I agree. I think that's absolutely mm-hmm. putting the nail on the coffin of them being British.
1: Yeah, it's like that's those little subtle things, and you're like, "Oh, that's right, they're British." Okay, okay. Do you remember this? This is kind of like just like a funny aside before we talk about the horror they're about to witness. But the petrified wood trees. Yeah. And to me, they looked like I don't. I don't know if you watch Great British Bake Off, but. One of the things they do a lot is they'll take cherries or other round fruit and they'll dip them in caramel and then set them upside down to dry. And that's how they do a bonfire cake for bonfire night, which is November 5th. And it looks exactly like those trees. And that's the first thing I thought of because I, I love I was like, oh, how comforting, but actually terrifying. Because it's not bonfire cake. It's petrified tr- trees.
0: This is the antithesis of bonfire cake. <laughs> <laughs> I found the exact and then, opposite.
1: And then immediately after this pseudo comforting image, we hear the first shrieking of what we end up finding out are the albino penguins
0: using their echolocation.
1: Mm-hmm. They're like, those bitches are by the trees. I just know it.
0: Yeah, they're. Let them know. Well, and I love to like. I love the albino penguins. A little unnerved that they're as tall as I am, and also a little Mm -hmm. unnerved that they're like their beaks are razor sharp. I'm like noted, but they (laughs) they don't seem to have any. They don't seem to want to have anything to do with us.
1: They're just like they're moseyin.
0: I would pet one.
1: Who knows?
0: Who fucking knows? That's I got really like I I was worried about the albino penguins. Like obviously they're surviving. They're doing something, but. I also think the Shagath are like eating the penguins, or maybe. Aww. But you know what? The Shagath probably doesn't need food. Mm-mm. No, because no,
1: definitely not human food or earth food.
0: But they obviously are capable of eating if they want to. I would I th- think so. Yeah, I think because they like are like obviously. Well, okay. So remind me what the star-headed creatures are called again.
1: I know that Dyer refers to them as the old ones,
0: the older things. Is that all we get them? get them named I think
1: so I think he calls them the elder things and he calls them the old ones
0: they go through a girl like they they do every time I thought it was
1: gonna end I was like oh Cthulhu's coming well that's the end of them and then it's like nope then they then they got invaded three more times
0: well and then this preciousness around like there when he's like the prototypical human there seems to be this picture of an ape like human who they also ate
1: Oh yes.
0: And like this preciousness around that. I'm like, bitch, they were hungry. And they're mm-hmm. just they're just trying to, you know, colonialize. I want to know. I love again, I love this limited narrative, like because we do get this history, but I'm also like, how did they create the shagath? Mm-hmm. Um
1: is the shagoth a different species? Or Shag- did they actually create it?
0: I think they created the shagath as a means because remember, the shagoth is capable of like manipulating its body into being anything that they need. And that's why like, Mm -hmm. that's how they end up using them to build, which they're also building stuff. Uh, And it's like, it's weird to me because I think a lot of this history, I I found it really fascinating because it's, it really is built around um, this idea of the human mind and like how Mm -hmm. we as humans can only grasp a concept from what we understand and know so, this entire history of the elder things and the Shagath is based around like what human beings know about our own history. So, of course, like they view the Shagath as a slave to the elder things, mm-hmm. and then this revolt, and then, of course, this war between the Shagath and the elder things, the elder things win, and the Shagath are then like suppressed back into slavery.
1: But it's clear that they don't get the f- what we find out later that they don't get the full breadth of the story just from that mural because they do find in that one cave, you know, this disturbing headless elder thing.
0: Yeah. What? What's the line that he says? Um, he goes, he goes, they have no heads. And then he says something about the idea of pure horror, like being able to look at something that's unidentifiable and still manifest pure horror because it mm-hmm. doesn't have a head or something it's some it's i'm bastardizing the line but it's like
1: uh um, really pointy oh it's that we should consider these mutilations fearful and grotesque how strange and diverse is our capacity for horror had we not regarded these ancient beings even whole as monstrous
0: and then he like talks about not blaming the elder things for what they did because they were just trying to survive right Mm-hmm. So again, uh, it's an- it's this anthropo- anthropomorphization that it's like condescending, but also wrong because the Elder Things are, of course, like way more hyper intelligent.
1: Do you think that if he had taken the side of the Shagoths rather than the Elder Things, they would have been fine? Because I do think it's him referring to the area they're in and the murals they're seeing as the degenerative imitative final carvings of the slave rebellion of course there's no way he could have known that there is a shagoth near them but you know this i i think it does help that they're british because i think that speaks a lot to british imperialism that Mm -hmm. they're going to take the side of these beings which Honestly, they have very little connection to, but Dyer sees them as, like you said, the more intelligent species. So he's going to take their side rather than the proletariat side yep. of the Shagaths who have been forced into servitude. And in Dyer's mind, that's where they should have stayed.
0: That's an excellent point. Wow.
1: To the detriment of poor Danforth, I just want... Just want justice for Danforth. So many times he's like, "Can't go this way. This is bad. Let's stop." What are you doing? We've seen enough. And he's like, "No, let's just keep going. Why not?" Tekalili, as they say.
0: Tekalili. <laughs> I yeah, I have such compassion for Danforth. You're right. We lose Lake, and then we get this. Dyer suddenly steps into these shoes of like, we have to press further, like, mm-hmm. and suddenly we lose sight of finding it's it's a rescue mission for me first and foremost and then it mm-hmm. devolves into this wait. but we're so close we're on the verge of a discovery and we're like girl you saw what happened last time
1: yes and i f- danforth is like these horrible sounds are coming from the cave maybe we don't descend further he's saying something knows we're here maybe we should go Back, Something is impeding our investigation. And then, of course, you know, he says the line that killed me that I had to send to you at like 11 p.m. at night when they see the giant structure, a babble for a tongue no No human human ever ever knew. knew. So good.
0: So good. I just had to
1: stop. I was like, I don't even care if that's supposed to be Dyer's thought. I immediately attributed it to Danforth because he's the one that has most of these poetic musings. And that's something I would expect to come from him. So I was like, yeah, that's totally Danforth.
0: I have a question regarding there were eight elder things, and then we find four that are Mm -hmm. headless, and we never find out what happens to the other four.
1: I think that's one of those things that they just kind of.
0: It's like it's part of the mystery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they do go into that mausoleum, and there are some that are kind of like, but they don't. That's what's weird to me is they don't die, but they do die.
1: Yeah, I was confused about that too.
0: Which again, I think that's part of it. Like we're working with a limited history, a limited understanding of what we're dealing with.
1: Mm -hmm. It's one of those things like, um, are you familiar with the pistol shrimp? No. I'm sorry, this is a weird analogy. So the pistol shrimp, first of all, is an amazing underwater creature. Basically, its claws snap so fast that it's like a gun shooting off and it creates a bubble in the water that attacks its prey. Very cool. Anyways, I think humans have 16 or 32 cones in our eyes for detecting colors. And the pistol shrimp has like 168 or something. Like a massive amount more. It sees colors that we can't even fathom. And I think that's what this is like we can try to understand what dyer is telling us based on these murals but when it comes down to it like this sort of alien civilization this sort of creation of life this sort of building and existing in these types of forms is something that is so difficult for us to comprehend
0: mm-hmm. that's a great point it's and again it's like only comprehensible from what we can understand about it exactly so those murals could have been saying anything, and we, mm-hmm. and we, of course, can only see it through Dyer's eyes, through our own experiences.
1: Yes. In Dyer's eyes, the relationship – I guess assuming – of course, I'm extrapolating some, but assuming you know, he's a British man in the 1930s, he probably sees the relationship between the Elder Things and the Shagoths as, say, Britain and India – since yeah. that was something then. So naturally he's going to take the side of the elder things because that's something he understands and can relate to.
0: Because they could have also just been cohabitating together. Like it was mm-hmm. ben- it was beneficial for the two creatures. Like though the elder things did come first, it could have truly been an offspring. The Shiga, like these we don't know what the offspring, like they could we don't know how they procreate.
1: True. I think one thing to remember is that. The murals are made by, were created by the old ones. They are telling their own history. They could have been horrible dictators.
0: Oh, it's Elder Thing washed.
1: Yeah. Yes. Like when the spawn of Cthulhu came, they could have been, you know, a progressive force who were seeking to free the Shigoths, but they're painted as these warriors who are driving the old ones into the sea. And it's like a victory when the old ones are able to go back up into the world instead of just being underwater. This is very much turning into like the Shagoth manifesto. And I don't think that I was thinking that when I first read it, but just like the more I think about it, the more, and maybe that's just you know, I'm always championing the worker, because it just seems very clear from reading their history that once they created the Shagaths, they may the elder ones may have created their first city, but they basically left everything to the Shagaths after that, as far as you know, creation and everything went. Yeah, creation and in, in terms of construction.
0: I love the um, the juxtaposition of the grotesqueness of the deeper cavern mural and Mm -hmm. then him saying that they found they found that it suffice just to suck the heads off of the um elder things
1: (laughs) Uh, like a crawfish
0: it's so brutal and it's also like Mm -hmm. it does show that there's this element of like these bodies aren't completely eviscerated and this entity does have a comprehension of oh i am i am satiated you know, the creature sets oh, the heads often is like satiated by that. And to reclaim, again, what does he say about the the mocking term? And how does he fucking know? That's my thing too, is like, how does how do, how smart how does smart motherfucking dire know that telecalegally <laughs> is like some term used to mock them? And they've like reclaimed it.
1: Maybe it's in
0: the Necronomicon. The Necronomicon
1: maybe. That's another thing that makes me feel like his disregard for the shigoths and their existence that causes the creature to come after them because that's all it says is techalili to them and i think that's sort of I, i guess and this probably has to do with my human brain but it seems very strange to me that these creatures would be so advanced and not have an advanced form of language you know? Like, I'm sure they have ways to converse that we can't even think of. But it seems almost, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but it seems almost strange that they would only have one phrase.
0: Well, the reason that that happens in the evolutionary line of the Shagath, they have no need for vocalizing because they are controlled Mm -hmm. through telepathy, right?
1: I think so, yeah.
0: And so I think what happens is the moment that because they rebel and then they return to the telepathy and it, but there's always that underlying of it's no longer serve indentured servitude more so than like uh, the underlying element of we'll rebel again. So we do have mm-hmm. our own free form of thought, but we're hiding that from you. You can only hear it what we're telepathically sending back. So then once they're like, they freed themselves, they're emancipated, then they kind of, I, I still don't know if there's a need for vocalizing. So this interesting thing that maybe telekalili was like a call for Shigatha was if it was out of telepathic range, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: So maybe it was this, why aren't you doing what you're supposed to do? Where are you telekalili? Mm-hmm. And so that just becomes this like pentasymbolic representation Ooh. of their entire language.
1: That's kind of cool. I like that. Also, I just had a thought about why we don't find the other four elder beings, elder ones. Why? What if? Because we know that the Shagoths can take any form they need to. That's how they're able to build and create tools and do all this stuff. I wonder if they have the ability to mimic the shape of the elder ones. I don't think we get to see the full breadth of their abilities.
0: I agree. And I wonder too, like, because here's my thing is because those surgeries were so specific, mm-hmm. here's the thing. I agree with that theory as well. Because, like, what if those four elder things were just the Shagath and forms? But that you're right, we don't get the full story. Because how else are they going to perform those surgeries and, like, basically carve out those explorers and the dogs? What tools are they using? Unless they're using the tools that Lake had there that he was dissecting the other elder things with.
1: Yes. And we do know that they find that. Maybe not that specific equipment, but similar equipment there when they find Gedney's body. Although I did. I, I loved. Let me find it. Of course, I'm a fucking English major. So there's one line that I fucking loved. And I'm sure given the section we're in, you probably know what it is. It's when they're running away from the Shagoth and they stop to take a breath. And it says not Orpheus himself or Lot's wife paid much more dearly for a backward glance.
0: Yes. I was
1: like, I was like, kill me, kill me, bury me with that line because that is beautiful. Fantastic. It's beautiful. And And then the next page you're like, Oh fuck. Yeah, no, you're right. Cause that is terrifying.
0: The idea that a corpse smell isn't worse than what this thing smells like, and it's black sludge. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they're not necessarily eyes that are in the Shagoth, but they look like eyes. So, oh,
1: are they not? I thought they were.
0: They're like, here's the thing I'm looking at the back cover right now. Oh, okay. And they kind of look like balls with indentions in them. They look like eyes.
1: Okay. I'm looking at the page where Dyer is looking straight into them. And he does mention that they're endlessly imitative. So I feel like those features could also be because I'm looking at it and they're drawn very similar to how Dyer's eyes look in that particular scene. So maybe that's a part of it. Maybe that's another aspect of their horror is you're looking into the glutinous abyss and the abyss is literally looking right back at you.
0: Jesus Christ with your hey. own eyes. God. My tummy hurts again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then Gedney, you know, quotes Edgar Allan Poe again cuz he's me.
0: It it was no drunken fancy of his, no fiction, but a terrible echo somehow perceived, heard mm-hmm. otherwise by blind birds only pale as the ancient snow cried for all eternity at the core of this cursed white land.
1: So Tech-a-way. creepy. And I feel like they stared at it for way too long. This is one of those where I'm like, get the get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. Given everything they have seen so far, what do you think it was that Danforth saw?
0: I think it. it's so unimaginable that it's maddening, right? It's that idea mm-hmm. that so they're able to, there's like, in the mirage, I can see a city. So it's like these things that are drawn are imaginable. So the human mind isn't driven mm-hmm. mad by them. But that's the Orpheus moment of turning back and losing your sanity. I think so. Because what you saw is so unfathomable, and so it's not. And it's not that it's dangerous. It's not that like the older things are flying behind them. It's that whatever was seen was so unencounterable, never imagined being fathomed by the human mind that it sends him into partial madness.
1: It it finally breaks him because I think the human mind can only take so much Mm -hmm. of this type of horror.
0: Exactly. It comes back to that thing for me where it's that exploration of the human mind can handle what it can comprehend. It can bear the weight of it. It's very strong in that way, but the moment it encounters something that it can't comprehend then that's mm-hmm. when true madness takes hold.
1: And I would say, even though Dyer thinks himself cured from it or absent from it, I would say the moment he's in sort of the mausoleum of the old things, I feel like he encounters his own sort of madness just because he enters into this internal monologue, basically absolving them of any evil they might have done. Yeah, He's like, "Um, in truth, they had not been savages, for what had they done? Awakened in the cold of an unknown epoch, disturbed and assaulted by furred, barking quadrupeds, and by the white simians with their strange tools and bizarre clothing. Poor Lake, poor Gedney, and poor old ones. Scientists to the last, what indeed had they done that we would not have done in their place? So it's, it's this very, I don't know, my continued frustration with Dyer taking the side of this... Life form, just because he considers them to be more intelligent. What did the Shagoths do that you wouldn't have done in the same situation, you know? But he can't see it from that angle because he's never been in that situation.
0: And we do see this reverse savagery as well. It's seeing this honoring the dead that kind of also brings him to the side of the elder things, but they leave Gedney's body behind. And the dog
1: they do so
0: this that's this, right the suddenly like honoring of the dead is what wins him over that there because savagery is not giving a fuck about your dad you know mm-hmm. the human mind of course honor the dead have a burial have a burial ground there's obviously a belief in some other plane but we see him leave gedney behind So so suddenly it's like this projection of wanting to be like the elder thing, you know, on lamenting the elder thing, lamenting humanity, but then being more like the Shagath himself.
1: Yeah. The whole point of the mission is to find Gedney and hopefully save him, which they're not able to do. But you're completely right. I didn't even think about that. He does. For the sake of his own survival, he decides to leave him behind.
0: So sad. Poor Gedney.
1: (laughs) we're get any poor danforth and then when they get back pavodi's like what happened and he's like not talking about it let's go home oh
0: that bullshit where he's like danforth let's swear that we'll never tell anyone what we saw here it's like you you did this so that you could do research you idiot mm-hmm. of course we're going to exactly. fucking tell people like you gross that's toxic masculinity to me that's gaslighting <laughs> And I think that's a lot of it, too. That's like the Poe-esque element, right? Mm -hmm. It's the mirage and then Danforth having to deal with this soul-crushing secret that he has to keep now.
1: Exactly. It's a
0: very Telltale Heart-esque.
1: For all of how Lake is presented as a villain in Volume 1, his whole purpose of pushing forward was to spread this information. Like, of course, he wants credit for it. He wants to be the person the first person to talk about this thing, which is fine. He has to have that ambition or else he wouldn't be the villain. But he wants to tell people. He wants to show people. Dyer finds all this amazing information, you know, history that could change everything. And he's like, we're not telling anybody. As if that's somehow going to prevent people from going there again you know like oh if we don't tell anybody then nobody's gonna go there
0: well and then of course the book ends with them talking about the other expedition that's about mm-hmm. to take place i think this is also fucked up where he like will go to danforth's bedside and be like tell me what you saw like you said and it's like bitch we agreed not to talk about it
1: but he'll continue to just push his broken mindset to try and figure out the answers to his questions
0: exactly I love the fact that Danforth, I redact what I say about him going into full madness because he ends up, he's like, yeah, there are days where Danforth's like fine and he's normal. Mm -hmm. And then I try to talk to him about it. I I think it's almost more uh, pitiable because full madness, you're just kind of there, but then having this like partial grasp of reality and being like only half mad, I think that would be worse.
1: Because then you almost have a concept of how damaged your brain is.
0: Exactly. Like, it, it, he chooses not to talk about it, but, like, is aware of how deep that well of pain is inside of him.
1: Mm-hmm. And in the end, his choice not to talk about it, because apparently the only thing he reported on was that their expedition led to the death of Professor Lake's entire a group a of people. fucking
0: waste. You-
1: All that's going to do is the next expedition is going to be like, what mistakes did they make? We won't make those mistakes. We're going to bring this, 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 the same thing they did, which, and who's telling who, who knows if the expeditions before them didn't also come upon the same sort of constructions and did the same thing, you know, like, Oh, we just won't tell anybody. We'll just tell people we went this far. So you're all you're doing is setting somebody else up to explore further instead of, I, I mean, I don't know what the answer to it is to, you know, prevent something terrible from happening.
0: Well, and it's very prophetic in a way because it's that idea of, I know this is super sorted. I'm so sorry that I'm bringing this up right now, but it's no, like, you're fine. It's the Nazis experiments and the decision like, do, oh. we, do we let these experiments go to waste or do we use them in mm-hmm. medical advancements for the betterment of humankind? It, it almost is very like foresight in a way in his writing like it's very kind of cautionary tale in that way Mm -hmm. yeah i just think it was so good i i love that we picked this Mm -hmm. for halloween for spooky month
1: it was a nice push into horror
0: i would encounter more i would like do i would definitely cover more horror manga and comic books Cause I think there's so this is what I love about horror as a genre, Renee. And mm-hmm. I think I think you get this more, you probably know this too. I think there's something really powerful in horror, particularly in literature form, that it's not enough just to scare the reader. There has to be something deeper, something that speaks to the human condition and how it's flawed. And that's where the true horror lies. It's like in in Stephen King's It, sure the the monster the alien creature is scary but what's even scarier is like the society around them and how it ignores Mm -hmm. the children it's it's always this exploration of you encounter a horror like a cosmic horror or like this monster but there's something there's also another deeper evil entity that it's present in humankind but it's not tangible in a way like a creature is
1: to write horror that is truly scary, you have to speak to the human condition and say something about the human condition. Yes. Like a, what is Halloween? Is, Hall- is Halloween just about the movie, not the holiday?
0: I know so much about this movie, Renee. <gasps>
1: it's my favorite horror movie.
0: Halloween is groundbreaking because you see the, the shape. Michael Myers isn't given a name in the credits. He's called The Shape because what you often see is he's emerging from darkness. So it's shot mm-hmm. in a way- He's not jump scaring. He's not, you're typically, you're typically faced with his murders, with that sound, with the music Mm -hmm. and that's the scare. And then he emerges from the saturation of darkness. So it's always, it's always operating from this going from like dark to light.
1: I love that. I still, like, I think of, of like the big slasher movie villains. I honestly, he's, he is my favorite. Well.
0: It's so scary. Yeah, I to
1: say you have a favorite, but I think I think Halloween is is just the king it's slash queen of so the low movies. budget.
0: It was so low mm-hmm. budget. They like had no money. They were literally shooting like on like, I want to say it was like ten thousand dollars, really. And like and then when Halloween two came out, it was like they had more money, but it like wasn't as good. Like suddenly Michael Myers is more violent. It's more shock factor. Mm-hmm. And then the original Halloween just kind of operated on this. You you were scared of Michael Myers because he was the shape. There was no real intent. You had this vague idea of why he was doing it. And it was just scary. He just showed up. There was no logic. Like that ending moment when he shoots him out of the window and then they go and he's not there. Like there's no, mm-hmm. there's no rhyme or reason. And I think that's, no. what, that's where – the original Halloween falls into like psychological horror because we try yes. to comprehend what's happening and there's nothing to comprehend because he is not human.
1: I don't like the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. And I'll tell you exactly why. I'll tell you exactly why. Here is my, since it's <laughs> Halloween season. You pull out a binder.
0: Is- you're like, what the <laughs> <are?">
1: <laughs> I've been waiting for somebody to ask. So I, I, don't like and i also this is why i'm not a huge fan of the friday the 13th series is i don't like when you try to take a slasher movie villain who by nature is evil incarnate and you try to make the audience sympathetic towards him i think that ruins the character itself so you take michael myers in the original halloween ignoring every single movie that comes after that He is, we know he is an escaped mental patient, and we know he kills without remorse. We know that he started killing without remorse when he was a young child, and it continued at the mental hospital and upon his release. That's all we know about him. He is a figure who kills people, and he is terrifying because we don't know why. And then you have Rob Zombie who comes in with his Halloween and tries to make it, oh, he's the product of a damaged family he does it because his mother mistreated him or his dad mistreated him. And it it's the same reason I got very frustrated with Jason from Friday the 13th because they try to tell you, oh, he kills because he was bullied. He got bullied and drowned. And that's why he kills campers. Isn't it scarier to just like have a, a, somebody who drowned by accident and that's why he kills? Like even then, that's kind of like... It, there's not a whole lot of weight to that story, but to me, it's more terrifying to have a monster that you don't understand than to try and give them some sort of sob story.
0: I agree with that. That's you're not just a spectator. Suddenly, you find your mind like trying to rationalize the unrational, the irrational,
1: the mm-hmm. irrational.
0: God, why am I so fucking stupid with words? You are you as a rational human being are trying to rationalize the irrational. Yes. And that's scary. All right, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today for our continued spooky month episode of HP Lovecraft's at the mountains of madness by Gal Tanabi. Volume two. It was so good. Renee, I had such a blast dissecting this with you and Mm -hmm. I think it's, uh, I would love to go back to his work at some point. Hopefully we'll, we'll be here next October doing even more spooky, um, Mm -hmm. spooky recording, hopefully in the same room. Can't wait for us to be able to be together again.
1: Oh yeah. I'd love to have you in the pod cave when, uh, when it's safe to have to do so
0: yes and i'll i'll have a car by then so i'll be able to zoom over please hit that subscribe button on spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts if you're interested in what we have to say our commentary and you would like to hear your favorite comic book or series um rip to shreds kidding dissected (laughs) by us um you can email us at read this way period podcast at gmail.com and yes we, we have
1: an email it.
0: we have an email and if you want to follow us on instagram it's the same thing it's read this way period podcast on instagram and our mm-hmm. logo is our picture and follow us both on instagram i'm at that jace kid j spelled j-a-s-e and renee is at pogue underscore like the band pogue spelled p-o-g-u-e and we will see you next week.
1: Yes, for some more spooky stuff.
0: Yes, the conclusion of our spooky month. I guess it's mm-hmm. a spooky half month, but you get the spirit. Okay. I love you, Renee. I love you, listeners. I love you, Jace. And
1: um, you're okay, listeners. Y-
0: listeners, I barely know you. I'm using love in a very broad sense, a very flexible mm-hmm. definition of the word love.
1: Because you're a loving person, but I need some time to get to know you. Listeners, I know Jace well enough to love him, but listeners, I don't know about you.
0: I think that's such a healthy boundary that you're setting, Renee. See you next episode. I guess not. See, uh, hear you next (laughs) episode. We'll we'll tune in next episode. We'll figure out what we're in what way you're consuming. We'll figure
1: out. We'll figure out how we're interacting later. Yes. All right. He's Jace Wingate, and I'm Renee Pogue, and this is Read This Way,
0: and this is. Read this way.